Genesis chapter 17. When Abram when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and will and will greatly increase your numbers." Abram fell face down, and God said to him, "As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the, fa- the father of many nations." No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you, and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with your money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, Her name is Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. People, kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to him, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, fruitful, and will greatly increase his numbers. He will make the father of twelve he will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by the time by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, 
every male in his household and circumcised them, as God told him to. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Father, we want to thank you for the unfolding revelation of your plan and purpose for uh, mankind through the pages of Scripture and particularly through uh, this passage in Genesis and also from the book of Daniel as the uh, kids work through Daniel in Sunday school. Father, we pray that you would help us to be attentive. We pray that by your spirit that you would give us hearts that really tremble at your word so that we would trust in your promises and that we would walk before you all our days. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I once said these words. Uh, I said, uh, with this ring I wed you, with my body I serve you, with all that I am and all that I have, I honour you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, then I took a ring and I, uh, I slipped it onto the finger of my best friend. And then she took this ring and she put onto my finger uh, just to say that she agrees with all that I just committed myself to. And uh, that was a uh, a covenant which we made with one another about uh, 24 years ago. And guess what? It just gets louder every year. Uh, That was a covenant that we made with one another 24 years ago and the rings are still on the fingers. At least mine's on mine. I can't check with Cassie. And what that means is that every time I look at that ring and actually pay attention to it and I think about it, I'm reminded of the, the covenant that I'm a part of. I'm reminded that 24 years ago I made some promises And I'm reminded that uh, I am not my own, that I don't belong to myself, that I actually belong to another. And uh, it's a very public kind of symbol, isn't it? Because uh, whenever I meet someone, if they they care to pay any attention, that uh, they would actually know that I am uh, belonging to that particular covenant. It's a good symbol, isn't it? The old wedding ring. Um, And the Bible is big on symbols as well. One of the symbols which keeps on coming up through the pages of the scriptures is the symbol of circumcision. But when you think about circumcision, and you, you kind of wonder, well, what kind of symbol is that? I mean, every boy in Israel had to get circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, 
uh, any adult Gentile male that, who wanted to join Israel had to get himself circumcised, had to go for the day surgery. And in, then there's the issue about, well, what about the girls? What about the ladies? I mean, there was no equivalent kind of symbol for them. What, what kind of symbol is circumcision? It's a very strange symbol when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, you know, God could have gone for other kinds of symbols, couldn't he? You know, he could have said to his people, you know, like, why not just wear a ring? Or why not just all Israelites have a particular hairstyle? Or why not have a tattoo? Or why not, you know, why cut the male foreskin? Really, what sort of symbol is that? Now, my guess, I might be wrong here, but my guess is that not too many of us here would have been to church and heard a sermon specifically and totally and only on the subject of circumcision. Is that a fair guess? I, you know, you've heard about circumcision as you've been reading the Bible and through different sermons and so on, but it's often in the context of, you know, well, circumcision in the Old Testament, you know, it's similar to baptism in the New Testament, uh, or you might have heard about, you know, why circumcision is no longer required, but I want to ask the question, why circumcision in the first place? What kind of symbol is it? And what's it got to do with us as Christians here today? Well, if you've never heard a sermon specifically on circumcision, today's your lucky day. <laughs> Because Genesis chapter 17, it's all about circumcision. Um, let's turn to that in our Bibles, if you haven't got that open already, and there's an outline of the sermon in the, uh, in the bulletin for you to take notes. Uh, but let's pick up the story of Abram where we left off. And uh, chapter 17, verse 1. I'm going to read that for you. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, Abram's uh, kicking along in life, isn't he? Uh, he's, uh, how old is he? He's, he's, he's counting down the days. If he was an Aussie, you know, he'd be looking forward to, uh, you know, getting his ton or his century or, uh, you know, the letter from the Queen. Uh, but he's done better than this. He's actually got uh, not a letter from the Queen, but the voice of the King. Uh, the King of Kings. God has appeared to him and God has introduced himself to him again and God has said, I am God Almighty. Now, in, I don't know very much about Hebrew at all. Okay, but there's some popular Hebrew terms that some of us know. You know, anyone who sort of grew up as a Christian in the 1980s would have listened to Amy Grant, right? And you know the song that she sang, El Shaddai, right? Well, that's the word here. When he says, uh, "I am the Lord uh, uh, God Almighty," he's saying, "I am El Shaddai." El means uh, God. Shaddai means um, we think it means almighty, because every time it's used in the Bible, it's in contrast, it's contrasting God and something really powerful that he does with the total lack of power that human beings have. And this is the first time in the Bible that God is referred to as God almighty. 
uh, El Shaddai. And there's a good reason for it. There's a good reason why he introduces himself as God Almighty. And the reason is this. Abram, he's heading towards 100. Sarai, his wife, she's not too far behind him. She's 10 years younger. So she's heading, she's 89. And God has made this huge promise to them. What's the, what's the really big promise that God made to them? God was going to give them a, a son. And where is he? I mean, you know, at their age, who is the only one who could achieve that? It would have to be God Almighty, El Shaddai. And so that's why he's introduced himself that way. And then God commands Abram uh, to walk before him and be blameless. Do you see that in verse 1? Now, when you walk before someone, when you walk in front of them, uh, you can't hide from them, can you? Uh, and so therefore you, you have to be blameless. And that is how God wants Abram to live his life. Uh, every day to walk every step of his life before God and blameless. Now, 24 years prior to this event, God had, God had promised Abram three things. What are the three promises that he'd made? He promised him, first of all, people. Secondly, a land. Thirdly, a blessing. It's, it's, it's soaking in, isn't it? It's starting to get etched into your brains. A people, a land, and a blessing. Now, 24, that's 24 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? Uh, that's exactly the same length of time between now and when I put this wedding ring on, uh, 24 years ago. And 24 years earlier, the, humanly speaking, the chances of them having a baby were, well, they were slim, but now it's 24 years later. How possible is it to, to have the baby now? It is humanly impossible. And so in verses 2 through to 8, what does God do? Does God say, look, about that promise I made, well, you know, things haven't quite worked out, you know, I'm just going to water down the... No, in verses 2 through to 8, what does God do? God actually cranks up the promises. That's what he does. Have a look at verses... Verse 3, in verse 3, Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. You see that? You see, Abram uh, was an embarrassing name for a childless, you know, uh, ancient uh, Near Eastern man because it meant exalted father. Uh, but um, now God has changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. So it's even worse. I mean, in terms of fertility, this guy is as good as dead. But no, what God says is actually... Um, Nations, peoples, even kings are going to come from your body. And of course, they're going to need somewhere to live, aren't they? 
And so in verse 8, he reiterates the previous promise about the land by saying, I'm telling you this again, Abram, Abraham, that the whole of the land of Canaan will be given to them. And how long is this going to go on for? Well, in verse 7, it's not going to be a short-term relationship. This relationship between God and the descendants of Abraham is going to last forever. It's an everlasting covenant. So that's where we're up to. Now, what happens in the story, of course, is that, and we'll learn about this more next week, is that one year later, approximately one year later, Sarai did give birth to a bouncing baby boy. But why do you think God kept them waiting till they were so old? I mean, um, you know, why has he kept them hanging in there for 25 years, a quarter of a century? That's a long time. You can imagine them being a little bit impatient, can't you? Why would God do that? Well, how about this for an answer? The more impossible the fulfilment of this promise, this promise seemed to be, the more clear it is that the only one who can fulfil the promise is God Almighty, El Shaddai. I think that's the reason for it. It makes clear the greatness of God. God keeps his covenant promises regardless of how impossible they may seem to us. So what therefore would be a good symbol to remind Abraham's descendants in the future that this promise was fulfilled? Uh, in, remember back in chapter 15, where we saw that the, the cutting of a covenant involved the cutting of flesh. Remember that? The, the beasts were slaughtered, then they were sliced in two, they were put in two different piles, and the kings would walk through and say, hey, if I don't fulfil my end of the bargain, what happened to these beasts will happen to me. That's how the covenant was established in Genesis chapter 15. How about then, as a symbol, the cutting of the flesh of the male organ through which God would bring about his impossible promise. How about circumcision? Not exactly a very public symbol, but did it actually need to be a public symbol? No, not really. It's a symbol to those who have been circumcised. As we uh, look ahead in Genesis, uh, we'll see that Abraham did have a son. His name was Isaac. Uh, Isaac uh, had a son whose name was Jacob, whose name was turned to, what was his name changed to? Israel. Uh, Israel then had 12 sons, and those sons became the 12 tribes of Israel who came out of Egypt and they actually took possession of the land, or most of it. And so why circumcision? Well, so that in the years and the decades, in the centuries to come, that these descendants of Abraham would be reminded of one thing, that they are the fulfilment of the impossible promise that from the body of a man who was as good as dead, 
They have come as his children, as his descendants, and they are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, in the ancient world where Abraham lived, <clears throat> there were some cultures that practised circumcision, but they didn't, they didn't practise circumcision in Babylon, which is where Abraham had come from, from Ur of the Chaldeans. The Egyptians practised circumcision, and so Abraham would have known what circumcision was. He'd heard about it. He had Egyptian servants in his uh, household. But the Egyptians did it for a different reason. The Egyptians circumcised males as an initiation rite from adolescence into manhood. Um, but that was quite different with Abraham's descendants because when would, when would they be circumcised? They would be circumcised when they were babies. Very, very different practice of circumcision. And it would be a statement to them throughout their lives that their very existence is because of one thing. An impossible promise came true because the Lord is God Almighty. El Shaddai. So when did circumcision start? Um, was it only with Abram's son, uh, Isaac, when he was born? Well, no. Because in verses 9 through to 14, circumcision started right then. Uh, and we read about that, say, from verse 10, verse 10 to verse 13. Uh, God says, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, uh, those who are not your offspring whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Um, by the way, just as an aside, you know, it says there that there were males that Abram had bought with his own money. Um, uh, that wouldn't have been money as we know it. It would have been little pieces of uh, silver, unmarked, unstandardised, uh, that would have been weighed up and uh, measured according to shekels, uh, which was a weight, and that's how uh, that's what's referred to as money. Money as we know it didn't actually come into existence until about the 7th century BC. And the word there, uh, translated as money, is, is, is like the word for silver as well. So that's what it means. Just an aside. Um, but the, the key thing here is that when God cut the covenant with Abram back in chapter 15, uh, who was present? It was a very private affair, wasn't it? It was God and Abram. And interestingly, it was only one participant in the covenant who actually made the covenant who walked through between the piles of sacrificed uh, animals and that was was it Abram no it wasn't who was it it was God the torch and the and the lampstand 
Abram was more like uh, an observer to that. Uh, it was a very private uh, cutting of the covenant, but now uh, God is making it very public. Um, Abram's uh, household was, was very big, actually, <laughs> not as huge as the peoples around him, but uh, remember when he had to uh, send in that, uh, uh, that uh, strike force of uh, trained men to rescue Lot? It was 318 trained men from his own household. That gives you an idea about how many people were part of this whole operation with looking after his herds and his flocks and all of that sort of thing. 318 men were uh, trained as soldiers and now every one of them plus any other male uh, and, and their sons were now to take part in this symbol of the covenant. And so you'd have to imagine there was a lot of day surgery taking place at that particular time. And the reason is this. God's purpose was to create a people, a special people, a community of God's people. Now, what if someone decided, well, not me, thanks. Um, I'm not going to be circumcised. What would they be saying? Well, I think they'd be saying, I don't actually trust God's promises. I think they'd be saying, I'm not part of this covenant. And so what should happen to them? Well, in verse 14, they should be cut off from the community of God's people. That's what should happen. They're not part of God's people if they refuse the symbol. Not because of the symbol, but because of what they're, ref they're refusing in terms of what the symbol represents. Um, imagine hundreds of years down the track and there's a young Israelite couple and they've given birth to a baby and they say, well, look, we're not going to have our little boy circumcised. What would they be saying? Well, they'd be saying, we don't care that this child that we've just been given birth to, we don't care that this child is the proof that God Almighty made the impossible come true. We don't care about these promises which have come true of a people, a land and a blessing. And so it's appropriate that uh, the uncircumcised should be excluded from the people of God's, uh, of God's people. Now, of course, it's also true that an Israelite could be circumcised, could go through the whole, the whole deal, and yet still not care very much about God. Uh, it's true that uh, an Israelite couple could just have their kid circumcised because of the ceremony, because of the ritual, because of the custom, because of the tradition, but yet really not be bothered about God, in, God at all. Uh, like a, a man, for example, you know, can be wearing his wedding ring whilst he's in the embrace of another woman. It's quite possible to do, because the symbol is not the reality. Um, let's kind of fast forward this about 400 plus years or so to Moses, when Moses is speaking to Abraham's descendants. Will you come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10 for a moment? Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
And you'll find that on page 133. And uh, <clears throat> the people of Israel who've uh, come out of Egypt through the Exodus and the miracle with the parting of the sea, and uh, they're in the desert. And Moses addresses them in verse 12. Let me read, I'm going to read from verse 12 to verse 25. Everyone got that? Nearly there? Okay, here we go. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, That's, uh, we've heard that before, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Don't you wish you could write words like that? Aren't they marvellous words? Absolutely. By the way, how numerous were they when Moses addressed them? They were as numerous as? The stars in the sky. Where we heard that before? The promises to Abraham. What were they to circumcise? Their foreskins? No, no, they'd already done that. They were, more importantly, they were to circumcise their, their hearts. Because it's not just about the surgery, is it? It's about the heart. Always has been. Always will be. When was Abraham declared to be righteous in God's sight? Was it after he got circumcised or before? It was before, wasn't it? Abram believed the promises of God and it was credited to him as righteousness. came before circumcision. Circumcision was the symbol of God's covenant with the physical descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, to remind them that the impossible promise had come true and they were the proof of that. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to cut through the hardness of our hearts has changed all that. The doors to God's kingdom have been flung wide open so that through the preaching of the gospel that people from every race, from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, from 
people from all across the globe have been welcomed in to God's kingdom, welcomed in to God's community, welcomed in to God's people without first having to become Jews by being circumcised. Now, this was a, an absolutely gigantic issue in, in the early church, in the first century, uh, in the New Testament, because the Christians wrestled with this question. The question was this. If a male non-Jew, that is a, a male Gentile, puts his trust in the promises of God in the gospel of Jesus, then must he also take on the symbol of being a Jew before he can be properly a part of God's community, of God's people. And you can understand where that was coming from, given that if you, in Israel, if you didn't have the surgery, then you were to be cut off from God's people. That was the question that the early church had to wrestle with. And it is a huge issue in books like uh, Colossians and, uh, and uh, Philippians, and uh, especially in, in Galatians. And the answer is no. The answer is no, that they do not have to become circumcised, they do not have to join the Jews, and the reason for that is because circumcision has been fulfilled in Christ. Right? Let me explain that. Circumcision is the symbol that out of the body of a man who, as good as, who was as good as dead, what has God bought? God has bought life. God has bought life out of a body that was as good as dead. God has done the impossible. Out of death, God has bought life. And that is what circumcision is the appropriate symbol of. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 15, Paul, speaking largely to Gentile Christians, says you don't need the surgery. Uh, you can be fully included in God's people without having the job done physically. And the reason is this. He says because you've actually already been circumcised. Not by the hands of men with a surgical instrument, but rather by the sacrifice of Christ. He says to them, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in the uncircumcision of your hearts. But, and that was a situation which was impossible for you to do anything about. But what has God Almighty done? Well, God has made you alive in Christ. Through the forgiveness of sin, by the covenant which was cut by the blood of his own son, God has turned that which was spiritually dead into that which is spiritually alive forever. Who needs the symbol of that? What is an appropriate symbol of that? It's a changed life. It's a life that 
trusts in the gospel, a life that is, shows by its very character that the circumcision of the heart has taken place. Paul tells the Colossians in verse 11 that Christ has circumcised them uh, in the, the putting off or in the, the cutting away of the sinful nature. And the word that's translated nature there could equally be translated as flesh. And therefore we see the direct fulfilment of what God commanded Abraham to do and his descendants. It's about the heart. It's about having a heart that trusts the promises of God in the gospel. It's about a heart which wants to walk before God blamelessly uh, every day. And so, friends, what about you? Is that you? Uh, do you have a heart like that? Have you experienced what it means to have a, to have, to have a circumcised heart, a heart that is soft to, towards God, a heart that trusts and obeys uh, his promises? Now, one of the things you notice in the New Testament is that in the writings of Paul is that Paul got pretty angry with uh, teachers who in his day were saying to, to Gentile believers, hey, it's great that you put your faith in Christ, but if you fully want to be a part, included as God's people, then you've got to have the circumcision done physically. Paul got pretty angry about that, didn't he? I wonder why Paul was so passionately angry towards those who taught such things. Well, the reason is this, that by teaching that, they were denying that Christ had finished the job. Um, in Galatians, Paul wishes that these people who teach such things would go the whole way and with respect to themselves, cut the whole thing off. <clears throat> it's a part of scripture that... Uh, well, they've, <laughs> they've kind of sanitised it in our translations by using the word... Um, what's the word that they use? Uh, emasculate themselves. And you've got to look that up in the dictionary to work out what is... It, that's what it means, brothers and sisters. He says, these people who are teaching this sort of stuff, I wish they'd go the whole way on themselves, cut the whole thing off. Get the idea? I can see people laughing. There you go. <laughs> um, in Philippians, he calls them dogs. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. And because, you see, Paul was able to say, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I've had all of that. But you know what? He says, that is nothing in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, that is the shadow that has been fulfilled by the death and the resurrection of Christ, who himself was dead, actually dead, but out of the death, out of his tomb, God brought life in the resurrection and we are joined with Christ. 
We are in union with Christ. Because his death has paid for our sin, because his resurrection guarantees us new life, then we too are dead to the flesh. We have died to the flesh. We were dead in our, in our trespasses and in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, but he's paid the debt which we owed by his sacrifice on the cross. He's come back to life and therefore that we too have, have put off the old sinful nature. We too now have spiritual life everlasting life. We too are participants in the covenant, not through the putting off of the flesh, but through the circumcision of the heart. And that's why Paul's pretty angry and says that those people are saying that you still need to have the surgery. They're saying Jesus hasn't done the job properly, that there's still more to be done. Friends, there ain't. Uh, we are the circumcision if we are in Christ. Does that make sense of circumcision? Okay, well, there you go. You've had a sermon totally on the subject of circumcision. And uh, we're going to pray anyway. Okay. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the uh, revealing of, of the mysteries uh, that uh, we see throughout the Old Testament. We thank you that in the... Uh, the physical realities of Israel that you have given us a model that points us to the spiritual reality that is in Christ. Father, we thank you that, uh, that whilst we were dead and unable to do anything about that situation, that you have done the impossible, that you have brought out of the, the, out of the death that we're in, you have brought spiritual life that goes on for all of eternity through the death and the coming alive of your own son, Jesus, who is the circumcision. Father, we thank you for that. And we pray that we would be people who have circumcised hearts, people who do want to trust in your promises and walk before you every day of our lives. We thank you, we love you, we serve you, and we honour you. In Jesus' name, amen.